Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast, and Donald Trump is the 45th president of the United States. We are here to talk about his inauguration speech, protests in D.C. today and this weekend, and some of the very first actions Trump might take as president. I'm Sam Sanders, reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House. I'm Sarah McCammon, reporter. And I'm Ron Elving, editor-correspondent. You guys can't see it, but Ron is ready for today. Oh, I have it. Notepad, books, printouts. If it can be read. Can I just describe, like, he's wearing, like, a, it's not a tweed jacket, but it might as well be. It's, like, a gray jacket. He's got, like, a textbook. Are there elbow pads on the jacket? You can just call me professor. He looks so professorial. We do. We do. So where were people today? We had NPR folks all throughout D.C., you were, like, right in the action, Tamara. I was on the west front of the Capitol. Um, on, there were these risers off to the side, on either side. But I had a very decent view of all of the action right there. You know, Donald Trump doing the swearing in, um, Mike Pence being sworn in. It, it, was, it was, like, right there, right below yeah. me. Yeah, I, on the other hand, uh, I had a view of lots of action for the last year and a half. But today, because I did cover Donald Trump's campaign... Um, but today I was in studio with uh, Mary Louise Kelly and Mara Lyason and Nina Totenberg, some of the yeah. great ladies of NPR. But uh, she'll be out tomorrow. With the, with the Women's March, talking to folks there. Um, yeah, but, you know, we were all, of course, listening closely to the inaugural yeah. address. Yeah. I was deeply engaged in the events of the day, the material in the president's speech, yeah, yeah. and uh, staying indoors. All right. I was wandering the mall, but what surprised me was that there were people of all political stripes in the crowd. Oh, yeah. So I saw a lot of Trump supporters, but also lots of liberals with their signs, lots of students and young people. But the crowd was a mix. You could kind of get a sense of that watching TV, right? Because, you know, we'd hear boos and chants and Trump and, you know, but all different points in the speech. And so it was clear that there were people of different persuasion. Um, So today is not the only action for D.C. this weekend. There will be the big Women's March on Washington. We'll talk more about that in a bit. But first, let's hear the historic moment when Donald Trump took the 35-word oath of office that was administered by Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear... I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability and will, to the best of my ability preserve, protect, and defend Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help me God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. President. So we're going to play some moments from Trump's speech. Um, But first, what stood out to you guys? To me, leading into this speech last night, before I went to bed, I watched the inaugural addresses of George W. Bush. You are such a good student. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I know. I'm Trouble like, sleeping? <laughs> no. I, I, was, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to watch these. So I watched Ronald Reagan's speech. I watched uh, George W. Bush's speech, uh, his first one, and, and President Obama's. And all of them referenced history. They referenced mm-hmm. American heroes. There was, there was a sense of placing themselves in this grand journey that is America. And the thing that just struck me about Donald Trump's speech is – there was no sense of history. There was no past. There is only future. 
And we're going to win it. You know, even Andrew Jackson, to whom Donald Trump is sometimes compared as a populist hero, tough guy, came into office. Even Andrew Jackson wound up his speech by saying he had reverence for the examples of public virtue left by his illustrious predecessors as president. Did not hear any of that from Donald Trump today. In fact, he trashed all the people who were on the dais with him by saying all these people around me have failed. But to be fair, uh, he did thank the Obamas for their, quote, gracious aid throughout the transition and said they've been magnificent. There was that. In helping Donald Trump make the transition, but not at running the country. And that also went for George W. Bush sitting right behind him and Bill Clinton sitting right behind him, Jimmy Carter sitting behind him. You know, it's been observed that if George H.W. Bush weren't in the hospital, we would have had five former presidents sitting behind Donald Trump. And it's quite possible none of them voted for him. Uh, but regardless, he, I mean, you could argue what he, said, what he said in his speech was somewhat insulting or derogatory to, to them and pretty much everybody up there, including the people he's going to have to work with as president, the people in Congress. Um, but it is really much, very much in keeping with what he's been saying for the whole campaign. forever. For the line that stood out to me the most is when he says, quote, what truly matters is not which party controls our government. But whether our government is controlled by the people. January 20th, 2017, will be remembered as the day the people became the rulers of this nation again. The forgotten men and women of our country will be forgotten no longer. That speech was not a speech for the people that were sitting behind him. It was a speech for the people sitting in front of him and, and more to the yeah. point, the people sitting at home who voted for him. It wasn't a speech for the people really who didn't vote for him, but it was absolutely a speech for his base. It was a perfect continuation of his campaign. He could, You could have taken this speech out of the speech he gave at the end of the convention in Cleveland. And this is a continuation of the appeal that Donald Trump had over the last year and a half. Which I have to say surprised me a little bit. Uh, I mean, I didn't really have any any reason for this hunch, but the hunch I had was completely wrong. I thought he would he would sound more like his election night self. I mean, we had heard right, Tam, that it would be a more personal speech, and and I thought, well, this is going to be Trump getting up, just like on election night, saying time to bind the wounds of the nation, time to bring people together. I'm going to be the president for everyone. Instead, you're right, Ron. It was it was really almost you know directly taken from his campaign speech with a little bit of refinement, and in some cases. Cases, even you know, turning up the heat on some of the some of those ideas. But it was few- like literally quoting from himself, almost. Exactly. I mean, it, and it was all the same themes. You know, the the populist message, the anti-establishment message, the promise to take the power back to the people. You know, all the themes of trade and immigration and radical Islamic terrorism. All the things that have, had been flashpoints during his campaign. You know, not not just the popular things, but the controversial things. It was all there. Let's play a chunk of that speech. Mothers and children trapped in poverty in our inner cities, rusted out factories scattered like tombstones across the landscape of our nation, an education system flush with cash, but which leaves our young and beautiful students deprived of all knowledge, and the crime and the gangs and the drugs that have stolen too many lives and robbed our country of so much unrealized potential. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. 
So it was almost, you might say, taking Donald Trump's campaign speech, uh, if that was prose, and putting a slightly more poetic spin on it. But it was really yeah. the same ideas. And then there were, like, these moments where there were little nods to unity, but they came out kind of awkward. Like, he quoted scripture at one point and said it's good and pleasant when God's people live together in unity. But just before that, he had a phrase that I'm still trying to digest, where he said, when you open your heart to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice. He seemed to be saying, and the only time he referenced race was to say that black people, brown people, they all bleed red. He said said they all bleed red, yeah. But uh, it seemed like what he was trying to say is, through, Which, by the way, is like, isn't doesn't that go back to Shakespeare and Shylock and also like Chief Standing Bear? I mean, that's a really old idea. Nonetheless, but, it, it, it is at least a gesture in the direction of we're all one people here. And he, but he tried to be but, saying like, America first, we're going to put America first, we're going to be patriotic, we're all going to love America. And as a result, all that deep division, oh, come on, let's forget that stuff. There was there was less description on like how the unity happens. So there'll be this one line nodding towards unity, but then a whole paragraph on American carnage and the tombstones of hollowed out like factories. You I mean, know? do you guys remember that line from the campaign where it, the last few months where he was saying, you know, one people under one God saluting one yeah. American flag? And it, it's it's sort of this idea that patriotism is the thing that can bring us all together. Love of country is the thing that can unify us. I mean, the question that I think that sort of begs then is, is well, what does that look like? What does patriotism mean? And what do you have to do to qualify as patriotic? And, and that, I, I don't get any sense from Donald Trump of what he means exactly. Other than to vote for Donald Trump and to place one's hope and faith in what he has to say and what he tries to do. So the speech was not the only time when Trump spoke today. He offered a few remarks at the inaugural luncheon at the U.S. Capitol afterwards. And it was quite a different tone. It was pretty chummy in the room. And at one point, um, Trump urged Bill and Hillary Clinton, who were there, to stand up and receive applause. You know, I'll tell you, there is something that I wanted to say. Because I was very honored, very, very honored, when I heard that President Bill Clinton and Secretary Hillary Clinton was coming today. And I think it's appropriate to say, and I'd like you to stand up. I'd like you to stand up. I don't get it. What I'm sorry, I don't get I, it. I get it. I don't get it. Well, I, 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 guess I get it, but I don't, I don't, I think this is the side of politicians that makes a lot of Americans mad. And honestly, there's nothing more I can say because I have a lot of respect for those two people. So thank you all for being here. And uh, we're going to have four great years, hopefully, of peace and prosperity. So, Which version of you is your true? Ironically, you, considering that Trump was, you know, elected as this plain-spoken guy who's, you know, just being himself. But yeah. What's they the all true do, you? And who attacked Hillary Clinton for, in one of the WikiLeaks, um, there was a speech she gave where she talked about having, like, a public-facing self and a private-facing self where you have to have different versions of you. Well, there are two different versions of Donald Trump that we saw today. Most people probably only saw the version that gave the big, bold speech about taking it to the elites and taking America back for the people. And then he went into this small room with these fancy tablecloths and this fancy dinner full of the elites and encouraged people to give Hillary Clinton a standing ovation. Yes, and that is ultimately a politician at work. So he denigrates the politician's 
at one point when all of the country is more or less watching. I mean, if there was a point in the day where the whole country tuned in, it was either for the climax of the parade where they get out of the limousine or it was when he gave his 16, 17-minute speech. And there will be clips of that that people will see in the news and that they'll see on Facebook and Twitter. And that's what they will know of Donald Trump. But at the same time, those who want to pay a little more attention will see this other example of him actually becoming a politician. He did the same thing on the on election night. You know, he he uh, extended an olive branch to Hillary Clinton. He praised her as someone he I can't remember the exact words admired or you know, had a lot of respect for. Um, and and you know that was after months and months of calling her crooked Hillary. And you know to an extent it is just what politicians do, but it seems like Donald Trump does it to sort of an you know even greater extent. Well, and the other thing is that for his inaugural address, there was this huge crowd of people who at least at one point, were audibly chanting lock her up when an image of Hillary Clinton went up on the jumbotron. If he had said something nice about her or even mentioned her name outdoors, there could have been chance of lock her up, which would have been embarrassing. So we have some tape actually from people that were down on the mall today. It comes from our colleague NPR reporter Corey Turner. Thank you, Corey. He asked people this question. Donald Trump says he'll make America great again. What will that look like? How would you gauge if that's actually happening? How will you know when that's happening, when it's working, when he's doing it? What will it look like? I think it's already started just with what he's done with bringing, keeping the jobs here in America. I think that's already started. Political correctness is basically choking the life out of this country. Nobody can say anything because then, you again, you got the media stepping in to twist everything they say around and everybody's tiptoeing on eggshells. I think the wall will begin sometime in April. I think by the end of March, we'll have, you know, Obamacare will be gone. We'll have a new health care plan in place. I think by that point in time, tax reform is going to take place. And those are three big ticket items right there that will tell me that he's actually living up to his promise. You know, we're the greatest country in the world, but we can't take care of the world. we got to take care of our people. It's sad. I'm a veteran. There's veterans that are homeless, hungry. There's a lot of people in this country that are homeless and hungry. we got to take care of our people first. So, If they can do a tenth or a quarter of what they promise us, then that's going to lead us in the direction to make America great again. I don't think one man can do it. I think him and the people that he's uh, appointing. There is a mix of people who say that they want to the letter what he's talking about. And there are people who say... Well, but he's already changing the mood and things are good and I feel better and and just knowing that he's there makes me feel better. And they aren't looking necessarily for the specific thing or they aren't looking for all of the specific things. Yeah. I mean, the guy who had dates and times, I think that is an exception rather than the rule. I would I would say so from, you know, what I saw on the campaign trail there and what you said to him is exactly right. A lot of people basically said, you know, if he just does some of this stuff that that he's talked about, you know, and it'll it'll change the tone, it'll change the mood of the country, it'll it'll show us that you know it, uh, you know, I heard people say a lot, it'll be okay to freely express our faith again, and uh, you know, which are these things that for folks on the other side of the aisle are just so hard to comprehend. But uh, you know, there are a lot of people that feel like just by sort of being there and talking the way he does, Donald Trump is changing things and will change more things. That's right. I would say there were three things that his broad category of supporters wanted to see happen. One was accomplished when he defeated Hillary Clinton so that she was sitting down while he gave his inaugural speech today. And the second was when that helicopter left the plaza outside of the Capitol and Barack Obama was no longer president. And the third is everything he has promised to do. And if he accomplishes any of that at all, 
It's better than a two-thirds payoff. I talked to someone today. She said, quote, I feel safe now. Yes. So I, I talked to a woman who who said that basically, you know, the way liberals are feeling right now, that's how she's felt for eight years. And that now she feels like the country is on a on a better course. Also today, uh, the Obamas boarded a helicopter and flew away from the Capitol as private citizens after eight years. They are off to vacation in Palm Springs, California. Kind of jealous of that. Oh, it's raining. Don't worry. In Palm Springs? It yeah. never rains in Palm Springs. Oh, no, but it's um, there's a big storm. Oh, no. Yeah. I can't even imagine, but can I just say, like, we were all so exhausted after the campaign. Like, how exhausted would you be after eight years of being president? (laughs) I mean, I think I would, like, close the door, like, make some martinis or some margaritas (laughs) and, like, have a pile of books and just, like, not go anywhere. Oh, yeah. You know, so Joe and Joe Biden, they left as well. They took the Amtrak back to Delaware, as he did for many years as a senator. And he also, didn't they ride the Amtrak down for the inauguration the first they time? They did. I think Obama yeah. and Biden yeah. rode it down. Yeah. So we've also heard a bit more detail about what the Obamas are going to do next. They launched Obama.org and the Obama Foundation that will be based in Chicago. So it says the foundation will, quote, build programs to inspire us all to be better citizens and to help young leaders develop their ideas. Yeah, his uh, Twitter profile now says uh, he's like dad and citizen. Wow. What do we expect him to do? We've discussed before what we think he might do. And he and Michelle did say in this video that they put up today that they will not be online as much for a bit. Okay, time for a quick break. We'll be right back to talk about protests and marches this weekend here in Washington, D.C. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings home financing into the 21st century with a completely online process that's fast, easy, and convenient. Ditch the paperwork and use your phone or tablet to safely share your bank statements and pay stubs. In a few minutes, get a custom mortgage solution on your terms. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash nprpolitics. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLSConsumerAccess.org, number 3030. Support also comes from Full Frontal with Samantha B on TBS. New season, new night, same bad attitude. Don't miss all new episodes of the show Rolling Stone calls A New Era in Late Night. Full Frontal with Samantha B now on its new night, Wednesdays at 10.30, 9.30 Central on TBS. Let's discuss the protests that happened today, the rallies that are scheduled for tomorrow. Today we saw some efforts by protesters to block entrances to the National Mall. I actually saw them on 12th Street myself. They tried to block me. There were some protesters smashing windows of buildings around the White House. There there were some windows smashed. There were some bricks thrown. The police used concussive grenades and pepper spray. And, And a limousine was set on fire. There were at least at this point 100 arrests. I'm hearing reports of more. Um, but D.C. police point out that only a couple hundred people were engaged in uh, those tense moments of... There were, there were also all kinds of peaceful protests and people well, and chanting. Like, and I walked the whole mall over the course of the day, and very little of it was heated. You know, this was a pretty small occurrence. You mean considering. Very, very little of it was really contentious or violent. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that was pretty far away from the mall. That's well, true. I mean, there were a lot of steps taken to make sure that would happen. I mean, yeah. you know, walking in this morning, it was just like, you know, just to go a few blocks, you'd have to go around the block sometimes. And there's, you know, fences and concrete barriers. And National so, Guard. National Guard. So, yeah, there were, probably would have been worse were it not for that. Yeah. 
So tomorrow is the Women's March on Washington. Sarah, you'll be there expecting hundreds of thousands of people, right? And there are going to be lots of sister marches throughout the yeah, country? Yeah, it's, it's hard to know exactly. I mean, you know, crowd estimates are tough when you're there, let alone when it hasn't happened yet. But we're hearing reports of, you know, some potentially pretty big marches in Boston and even like places like Des Moines, uh, you know, bigger than you'd expect given huh. the size of the city. But we don't know yet. We will know tomorrow. Um, I think the, the number I've heard quoted for, for D.C. is 200,000 there is like a registration link on the on the site, but I'm sure a lot of people are coming. I know I've seen it on social media, lots of people who are coming last minute. Um, so the whole point, they say, is is not for it to be a protest, but to be sort of an expression of, um, you know, a call for women's rights and just human rights and equality. And it, But it is really sort of motivated as a pushback to some of the rhetoric that Donald Trump advanced during the campaign. Yeah. So, you know, it, my sense from, you know, just online, there seems to be a ton of talk about it. Who knows if that will pan out into the, the turnout that has been expected, but it could be a really big day. And the I mean, weather will be better. Although, the, you know, it wasn't that bad. To, it, it was rainy. A little, it was some sprinkles for a bit. But there seemed to be a forecast of rain like all midday that didn't about, really come to be. And then it didn't really start raining until, well, there were some moments of rain. It started but then, raining when, when Trump hit the mic. Yeah, it, it truly did start raining right when he started talking. And then the uh, military ushers rushed out with ponchos and clear umbrellas uh, for everyone that was there, the, the dignitaries. Up it on it the was dice. a little strange watching on television at that moment that all of those ushers stood up behind him. And it was like, what? What are they acting on his orders? But they really were just giving umbrellas to exactly. Melania and um, telephoto lens. You know the organizing of this march for tomorrow, Sarah. There has been, I guess you could call it, infighting within that group itself? Yeah, I mean, it started organically online, and and so it's been kind of loosely organized. It took on more structure as time went by. But yeah, there have been internal controversies about the representation of women of color in the organizing. There was an anti-abortion group that was initially going to be a partner and now is not. So there was some, you know, disagreement about basically who qualifies to be in this group and who should be organizing it. I mean, with anything involving hundreds of thousands of people, there's going to be some tension. And the other big question is just how does Donald Trump respond? I mean, we've seen him, you know, in the past when there were protests of some of his rallies and so forth, um, you know, respond on Twitter, lash out at at protesters. Um, Hard to imagine he'd stay quiet tomorrow, given his track record, but he is the president now. And if he does tweet now, he can tweet from his own account and also from at POTUS. He has that now. Right. Everything. Everything. There's the whole digital handoff of power as well. So this is supposed to be, you know, Trump's big weekend, yet the day after he takes the oath, there's going to be a big march full of people that probably don't support him. Um, He has some other things hanging over uh, his new term as well. His numbers are very low. We discussed that. Um, Also, some new reports out about ongoing investigations by the FBI into whether or not associates of the Trump campaign had contact with Russia before the election. And there's a new story from The New York Times that says the reason this news is being leaked out is that members of the intelligence community are fearful that Trump may try to shut the investigation down now that he's president. That's a lot looming as he takes office. How does he go into office with all of this? And there's also this Senate Intelligence Committee investigation into the Russian hacking and, and whatnot that's also looking into, among other things, possible contacts between the campaigns and Russia. How much power does he have to try to, you know, if he wanted to shut down some of these investigations? I mean, obviously, Congress can do what it wants, but Republicans are in control of Congress. And he has there's an ally that's the head of that intelligence committee 
But they are moving forward, for now at least, in a bipartisan fashion. If the Senate Intelligence Committee really takes the bit in its teeth and really decides that it's going to get to the bottom of what the Russians did last year, that could become a problem because the information will get into the public sector. But what about, like, can President Trump call his attorney general once he's confirmed and say, hey, Jeff Sessions, uh... Could you just like get Comey to lay off me a little bit? Can you get the FBI to just, you know, put take their foot off the gas? He could try that and Sessions could try that. But Comey doesn't necessarily have to take those as orders. He has a separate and independent term that overlaps presidential terms. And, you know, if you fire the FBI director because you, you don't want him to continue an investigation into something this hot and political, it's not a way to begin your presidential term and keep the trust of the people who still trust you. Yeah. And then, I mean, you know, like there's lots of other stuff, too. So the parade that Trump had today after he was sworn in and had lunch went right by the Trump Hotel. And as we all know, the Trump Hotel is another source of controversy because now that he is president, um, several experts say that he is in violation of the lease he has on that building with the government. Not to mention the potential, you know, the conflicts of interest there where there have been reports of foreign dignitaries wanting to stay there because they feel like maybe we'll ingratiate them with the commander in chief. And, uh, you know, that's the kind of thing that really I mean, that's one example of the kinds of potential conflicts he faces as president. Oh, boy. Okay, so Democrats are uh, prepared to lead what they're calling the resistance for the next few years, possibly. Um, Barack Obama has been saying in recent days that they could take a page out of the Tea Party playbook when it comes to their activism. What would a Democratic Party look like? My biggest question is, what do you call a Tea Party of the left? What would you call it? A kombucha party. Oh, (laughs) your mate party. Yeah, yeah. Ron did not like it that much. party. I strongly suspect that there will not be a Democratic Tea Party, but maybe that's not true. Maybe that's what the Bernie Sanders campaign in general was in 2015 and 16. It was a kind of Tea Party of the left. And maybe that will be back, led by Bernie Sanders, led by Elizabeth Warren, led by whomever. But the Tea Party itself, back in 2009, 2010, was not led by anyone in particular. It was a largely spontaneous movement that may have had some encouragement from some political action committees and some other people who had an agenda of their own. There was but some it, money in there. There was some money in there and Dick Army's group and for a fair number of other folks were getting a hand in. But there was also some spontaneity to the way the Tea Party arose and there was never a single leader. And you could say the left's original Tea Party was Occupy Wall Street. That movement ultimately led to a, a lot of the campaign rhetoric that we heard from Bernie Sanders. But the thing about yes. the Tea Party is that it did have, I mean, I mean, there were, I guess you could say the same about Occupy, but the Tea Party even now continues to have some kind of, even though it's organic, uh, structure in many places. Like there are places you can go in. I was in Texas at a Tea Party meeting during this campaign cycle where people have their, you know, regular monthly Tea Party meeting. They elect officers. They give speeches. Uh, I'm not sure how widespread it still is. But, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that I would be watching for. Do the Dems sort of have offshoot events that really do start to get organized and have some kind of hierarchy and some kind of, you know, unified vision? And I think that the series of marches this weekend could be an indicator of how things could go, you know, if if they are able to bring together crowds of people in all of these cities and then figure out what to do with it. If there's some organizing that happens afterward, 
then maybe they could do something with it. If they could have the kind of organizing impact on town halls and other meetings that feature members of Congress that we saw in the summer of 2009, which really made the Tea Party happen, uh, really made their effect on our politics take shape, then there is a Tea Party of the left, and they are countervailing the force that we saw from the Tea Party of the right. All right. Time for one more break. When we come back, what Trump could do as president in the next couple of days. A quick shout out to our sponsor who brings you this message. Katie Couric's podcast from Earwolf, an iTunes best of 2016 podcast. Each week, Katie talks with people making headlines to deconstruct the news and figure out what's really going on politically in America today. Hear what Edward Snowden thinks a Trump presidency will mean for his future, or what it's like for Alec Baldwin to play President-elect Trump on Saturday Night Live. Subscribe to Katie Couric in iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Listening to the news all week is a duty and an obligation of citizenship, but not without the occasional headache. Wait, wait, don't tell me. The NPR News Quiz is like Advil for the aching mind. Catch your latest episode with Tom Hanks guest hosting on the NPR One app and at npr.org slash podcast. And we are back. Let's talk about what's next. Trump has talked about signing a bunch of executive orders in his first days in office. He may be doing that as we tape, so just bear with us if any of this is dated by the time you hear it. But what Trump has talked about and what we could see happen in the next couple of days is, do we Do we know? I don't really know. He's already signed his first law. Signed it. Signed it. What did he sign? Signed, sealed, delivered. What did he sign? Uh, Mission for it, Mattis. Yeah, there there was a waiver to uh, allow General James Mattis uh, to become uh, Secretary of Defense, even though he only left the military about three years ago. It's uh, not there's, a law. There's no. There's a waiting period typically, and they had to uh, give a waiver. And it's a waiver, but it takes legislative form. Okay. And there and we, we should say that General Mattis is now Secretary of Defense. There's this list of things that. Might be top of mind. Uh, action on DACA. That's action. the uh, this deferred, is de- action. deferred action for childhood uh, arrivals. Yes. Action on the wall. Action on an Obamacare repeal. What looks most likely first? Well, the only things he can do quickly and on his own are, you know, executive actions or signing things into law. If there's anything else outstanding, I don't know. But I guess, Tim, we've heard that they've said that they're going to kind of take some time and figure that out. Yeah. Now, that time could be this weekend. uh, But they said that they've been exploring a number of options. Now, as President Obama was closing out his presidency, he did do a bunch of executive actions, created monuments, did did some things that could be reversed. And throughout his presidency, he did some things that could be reversed. They could roll back regulations. But Obamacare, that's not something that can happen with a pen. That is a much more complicated complicated process and politically challenging as well. The big things will have to be done with Congress. The question is whether or not in the first couple of days, the first 48, 72 hours, they want to do some symbolic things by mm-hmm. issuing some orders. Absolutely. And they may well do that. Well, and, and every president does to show that there's a new sheriff in town. Yeah. Now, what is going to happen in the first, I don't know, two weeks, it's going to be really big, is a new Supreme Court pick. Yeah. And president Trump, when he, he held his press conference, said that Within two weeks of becoming president, he would have a name out and and begin that process. Um, so uh, I guess the countdown clock started at noon. And of course, he has already released a couple of lists during the campaign of people he said he would choose from. These were people who appealed to mostly social conservatives. And, um, you know, that from 
many, many Republican voters, especially socially conservative voters I've talked to, will sort of be like the big prize that they've been waiting for um, if they get the kind of nominee that that they're hoping for in the model of, of Justice Scalia, socially conservative, et cetera. Yeah. But just to keep in mind how this executive action uh, can sometimes be more symbolic uh, than actually fruitful, you know, Obama, when he came to office, he signed an order to close Guantanamo Bay. Guantanamo Bay still open. Because Congress stepped in and by legislative action said that that could not happen uh, if they were planning to bring any of the people who were in Guantanamo into the United States, even into maximum security prisons or to be tried. So if you can't bring them to the United States, you've got to get some other country to take them or keep Guantanamo open. But we should say that only a fraction as many people are incarcerated there today as were eight years ago. So... I mean, here we are talking about what Trump will do when, what he will prioritize. But I think it's important to point out that it's not always up to him. He doesn't always, as president, get to decide when he has to make major decisions. I had a, a moment last night as I was watching these inaugural addresses. I was watching George W. Bush's inaugural address, and he was talking about how we were in this time of of relative peace and prosperity. And and then nine months later, 9-11 happened. And his speech Looking at his speech, there's no way you could have imagined something like that. I mean, well, frankly, there's no way anyone could ever imagine something like that happening. But just how his presidency changed in moments. And it's the things that you don't control that often end up defining a president. Yeah. All right. We're going to be back with a new episode on Monday to wrap up any news from the weekend. But before we go, Sarah, you have some news, some changes in your professional life. That's right. Uh, Don't worry. I'm still here at NPR. And you'll still hear me sometimes on the podcast. Good. But uh, I have, you know, switched roles a little bit. I am now on NPR's national desk helping cover the country. And some of that will definitely be looking at politics, the political aftermath of this campaign. I'm really excited to be... um, sort of outside the beltway talking to to people. That's one of my favorite things to do as a journalist. And some of that will, again, be about politics. Um, But I'm I'm also going to be doing a lot of other things uh, based in Virginia. Get to be close to my family that way, my kiddos and my husband, uh, who put up with me being gone an awful lot this last year and a half. Uh, But I look forward to jumping back in if you guys will have me occasionally. You can bet on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One last thing, um, as I said a couple months ago, I am leaving the podcast to work on some new stuff. Tam, you will hold it down as you always do for the next few weeks until my last episode as co-host on February 10th. That show will be taped live here in D.C. at the Warner Theater. If you don't have tickets yet, get tickets. It's going to be a great show. It's going to be really fun. Get tickets for that live show at nprpresents.org if you haven't already. The theme of that show is President Trump, What's Next? It'll be just three weeks into his presidency, and there'll be a lot to discuss, I am sure. Of course, that live episode will make it into your podcast feed the next day for those who cannot make it. All right? Yeah. All right. With that, we wrap. Support the podcast. Support your local public radio station. Go to npr.org slash stations to find yours and donate. Tell them we sent you. And thank you so much to all of you who have given in the last year. We really appreciate it. I'm Sam Sanders, reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the Trump White House. I'm Sarah McCammon, reporter. And I'm Ron Elving, editor slash correspondent. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.